Welcome back to Think Better Soon. The Positive Podcast. JP, we are here to talk about March Madness, and it's April. So that's We are. Yeah, yeah. It's April the 2nd, and we are we're, – we're still celebrating March Madness. And we're both well, just as excited about it as we were at the beginning of March, kind well, of. Just, just like in baseball, they always say Mr. October, but really, you know, the nitty-gritty sometimes happens the 1st of November. So – I think it's funny how yeah. we, try to, we try to cram things into uh, the, the 12-month calendar. It doesn't quite fit. So here we are. You know, tomorrow is going to be, uh, well, it's going to be a big day because there's going to be a national champion for the NCAA in, uh, in March Madness. It is. And we've, uh, you know, we've had some good conversations. I, I like to, I love the 30 for 30. It's called Survive in Advance. It's one of my, <laughs> my favorite ones. And it's all dealing uh, with the the underdog Fighting through, winning, surviving the game, advancing to the next one, and we've we've seen a lot of that this year. And it, uh, especially with what we talk about, trying to stay positive, it just kind of reminds us, you know, even when you feel disrespected, even whenever you feel like people are discrediting you, there's there's still a chance. You're telling well, me saw, there's still a chance. I saw a graphic that showed like the highest seeds combined to make a Final Four. And, you know, there was the year that Kentucky was an eight seed and played UConn and we lost. Um, but basically in the, the graphic, every single line except for this year had a blue board. You always had a Carolina, you mm. always had a, a Kansas, you always had a Kentucky. This year you didn't have that. And you actually alluded to the fact this is the first time that there's not been a one, two or three seed in the final four in the yeah. history of the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you, you kind of boil that down and you're saying, what is happening today that that is is causing such a shakeup in, in collegiate sports? And, and, that's and there's definitely I, been some changes. Well, I'd love to take you through my, my minute and a half dissertation uh, just in my mind of what's going on. So, you know, if you go back to the Texas Western game, when Kentucky and Texas Western played in the 60s and, you know, Pat Riley was playing for Kentucky, that was mm-hmm. – uh, that was a big moment for NCAA basketball because at the time you had a, an all-white team from Kentucky and an all-black team from Texas Western. There's been movies made about it. And, of course, that shook up the game. And after that, you had integration and, and things moved forward. Well, you know, really, if you look at it, you get into the John Wooden era. You know, he really figured out how to have selfless players, kind of like what Florida Atlantic has, has taught us. And other teams have had great chemistry and love each other. But, you know, John Wooden really mastered uh, the game, you know, winning 11 national championships, 11, mm-hmm. you know, going undefeated over and over and over again and taking all yeah. the best, you know, taking all the best talent and keeping them together and building these winners. So I would have to think that as far as if you could read the lay of the land, understand the landscape of what was going on, I'm pretty sure John Wooden figured it out. He did. You know? Yeah, he you, did. You, you, you move on from him once he left. They, they couldn't recreate the magic in Westwood. But you've got North Carolina, you've got Duke, you've got Kentucky. Somehow UConn's won four national championships. So there were programs who figured out the, the lay of the land, the, the way things worked with uh, how you built rosters. And that really led up to about the end of 2007, 2008, leading into Kentucky at 2009 and 10 when Cal Perry came. And, and he realized uh, because of the collective bargaining agreement with the NBA and having to be 19 years old, there was no longer going to be kids that went straight to the NBA. So kids mm-hmm. were going to have to come and spend one year in college. And so he mastered that. Uh, mm-hmm. He started with John Wall and Eric Bledsoe and, and those teams. Yeah. Then in 2012, it culminated with Michael Kidd-Gilchrist 
and Anthony Davidson Company, proving that you could win a national championship with a freshman-laden team. Yeah, and he did. And and that was uh, – I remember going to one of the games. Actually, I took my son uh, to one of the games, probably the last game I, I, I took him to, to see Kentucky with big old AD out on the floor blocking shots. It was wonderful. I don't want to discount what Deron Lamb did in that game as a shooter. And, you know, Cal really got him thinking well. You talk about thinking better soon. He had Bob yeah, Ozella yeah. down with Deron Lamb. He said, listen, kid, you are going to have the game of your life. And he went out and became most outstanding player. And let's not forget that kid from Mason County, Darius Miller. Oh, yeah, you gotta have, Darius you gotta Miller. Have, you yes, have sir. to have glue guys and chemistry. But, you know, Cal was able to put yeah. that team together, which I've read some articles mm-hmm. this year that that was the biggest problem with the, with the team this year at Kentucky is they lacked chemistry. You know yeah. who knocked off Cal Perry after that 2012 championship? Uh, 2012, although now I don't. Mike Krzyzewski. So he looked at it and said, hey, of course. this looks like it yeah. works. Yeah, I mean, hey, it works. I think I could probably out Cal Perry at Cal Perry's game. So they won in 2015 <laughs> yeah, with, uh, with Jason Tatum, I believe, and uh, Jason Allen. Yeah. The point I'm making is that you have to understand – uh, read the tea leaves and know the lay of the land. Well, things began to change. And, you know, in our childhood, Travis Ford transferred from uh, Missouri to Kentucky, right? Uh, yeah. You can find other Derek Anderson transferred into Kentucky. It was rare for players to transfer. In. You, almost, you almost thought maybe they had some problems, you know, that they, they were a little taboo because they couldn't cut it. You know, you're never supposed to uh, not stick out where you started. Well, now here we are. You've got... 1,700 people, 1,700 players in the transfer portal. Yeah, and, and as, soon as, uh, as soon as the game is over uh, in March and the team's knocked out, I mean, that's what you start hearing is who on that team is now entering the transfer portal. I mean, you know, we've already heard it with Severe Wheeler and a couple of the others. And just like uh, when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and, and uh, Barry Bonds, you know, hit 73 home runs when Bonds did that when you had the steroid era, this is kind of, in some kind of weird way, a steroid era of NCAA because you've got all these COVID holdovers. You've got grown men, 26, 27-year-olds, 19-year-olds. So I think it's fascinating. You know, the sport is still a wonderful product. They're still going to tip it up tip it up tomorrow, and somebody's going to win a national championship. But what I find where you can relate to our lives and thinking better and trying to navigate through our life is sometimes we can think that the game hasn't changed. We can think that we're still in the John Wooden era in areas mm-hmm. of our lives. But but things have moved past that. They've evolved. And I think it's important for us, for us to recognize uh, in our daily lives to be on the lookout for those areas where all of a sudden we're in the transfer portal era and we don't even know it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I like that logic. I agree with that. I, uh, I also look at it. It's just amazing at how, how, uh, how things change so quickly overnight to where, you know, you were talking about how, the the uh, the process, you know, through Wooden and them was you bring people in, you you teach them how to play the game, you get your team to gel, and then you throw them out there and, and, and you create a dynasty. And now it's it's just who can find the the best high school athletes, or at least that's what the 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 blue bloods the the uh, the Giants are trying to do is just get a hold of all of the the freshmen coming in and and, and put a stellar five star unit out out on the floor and just hope that they can they can become a one unit. Uh, I think that and that wasn't me, the case. Yeah, the the whole thing 
which we talked about fairly Dickinson, you know, the fact that um, they, if, I don't know if anybody knows this, but if you look at the fine print, they did not win the Northeast uh, Conference, the NEC. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't even win. They got beat by a team that, you know, Merrimack or something. And they used to be D2. And so the NCAA's got these weird rules and uh, they weren't eligible this year. So Fairleigh Dickinson accepted their automatic bid. Now, if you don't win the NEC conference, right, you finish second, yeah. you, lo- you lose a bunch of games, get blown out by some people, you're probably not going to be a bona fide 16 seed. You're probably going to go to date on a, <laughs> on a, on a Tuesday, JP. And, and I, realize, I, game. I realize everybody that's listening to this, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people listen to our podcast are from Kentucky, so they speak basketball. But even if you're not oh, a yeah. basketball fan, I think you can relate with this story. So here, here is a team, Fairleigh Dickinson. They don't win their conference, but yet they get the bid for the conference because they're the runner-up and the other team can't go. So they go and play a 16-versus-16 game in Dayton on a Tuesday night. And uh, they managed to win. And so they've got – and it was, by the way, it was a Wednesday night. They got a two-day turnaround to a Friday against Purdue. And their coach, this was his first year. He got hired in May. He hasn't even been there for <laughs> 10 or 11 months. It's safe to say he probably didn't recruit a single player on the team, okay? None. Yeah. Maybe one or two scrap pieces. But these guys could have went anywhere. Somehow they stayed there. He's got this ragtag bunch, you know, of players that, that you know, it's, it's unbelievable. We're discredited, disrespected. They're not supposed to be there. They're playing a number one no. Friday in the first round. After after losing their conference championship, after making it through Dayton, they go from Dayton to Columbus, and their prize is to play a number one overall seed. You know, probably the mm-hmm. number two seed in the whole thing by Alabama. And I think coach, so, yeah. Here's the thing I love about this. So you're saying there's a chance. Their coach, their <laughs> first year coach, he watched some film, and he came to his team, and he said, you know what? We can beat these guys. <laughs> now, you got to kind of freeze the tape right there because – his team's sitting around in the locker room or at the gym, and he's telling them, I've watched the tape, and I, I know there's a way for us to beat these guys. But the way we're yeah. going to do it, JP, the way we're going to – you remember how he said how they're going to do it? Do you remember? No, how? He I said, don't. we're going to win every four-minute session. So, oh, yeah, you know, he broke it hey, down. Yeah, I don't, I'm not for sure. I know in 1992, 1997, they weren't doing this, but I don't believe the, the Northern uh, – Northeast Conference, the NEC – they probably don't have three-minute timeouts at the end of the yeah. fourth. Yeah. So yeah, they so don't have media there. timeouts. Nobody's watching. <laughs> and back, back in the 90s, Patino lamented this because – and for those that aren't big basketball fans out there, it's still very fascinating. You go the whole season back in the 90s, and you might have a two-minute timeout maybe, and then you get the tournament, and you get the best athletes or the best shape, and all of a sudden they're taking three-minute timeouts. So it's giving the other team a better chance to catch their breath and get their heart rate down. And, and Patino saw it as a huge disadvantage for his guys because they were so much in such better shape. But but here yeah. are the here's Fairleigh Dickinson playing in a tournament where they've got to take these big extended TV timeouts. And the coach said after the 16 minute mark, the 14 minute mark, the 12, the eight, the four, I'm going to ask you guys: Did you win that four minute se- uh, session of the game? Did you compete? Did you win those four minutes? Because if you guys can go out there and win every single four minute session, you know, do whatever you can to win the, all 10 of those, you got a chance to win this game. So I think, for me, the number one thing from the Fairleigh Dickinson uh, upset, the second time, I think that in the history of the tournament, 16 seeds are like 2 and 157, something like that, right? So they've, they've won, <laughs> yeah. they've won yeah. 
it was one out of 150 something before it ever happened. So it's very unlikely. We know it's very unlikely. Yeah. But the biggest takeaway for anybody out there listening, if you're up against it and um, you're a huge underdog and it looks bleak, you've got to break it down into manageable pieces. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I always go back to that, that 30 for 30, the survive in advance. It was with the, the 1983 NC State Wolfpack. You had Jimmy V, who I, I, I just loved his attitude, especially in the whenever it was the 93 SP speech when he got up, you know, don't give don't give up, don't ever give up. And um, but that team was going against so many giants and they 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 eventually got into the NCAA tournament by winning the ACC tournament. And um, when they were in the ACC tournament, I mean, you're going up against Michael Jordan. You know, James Worthy, Sam Perkins, you know, the, the teams that they were going up against. And 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 the, the players on the 83 NC State team, none of them were were professional players like like you saw on on the on the other teams. Uh, they played against Houston, which had Clyde the Glide Drexler. Yeah, I mean, it was just amazing the teams they went up against the 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 uh, Goliaths that they went up against, but they <laughs> they had a kind of, they didn't look at it in a four minute session. They just looked at it more as, you know, okay, this is my game today. I'm going to take on what I'm going against today and I'm going to win. And then we'll think about tomorrow when tomorrow comes and, and kind of like the four minute sessions too, but survive in advance, telling me there's a chance. Well, and, the, the biggest thing to this tournament, as far as the teams that uh, that made the big storylines, it just seemed like the the theme of this this whole year uh, during postseason has been these guys really love each other, they really play for each other, they really believe in each other, and um, you know that's that's got to be more important than any any other element of a team is they've got to be willing to trust each other with everything. Yeah. 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 And, and, and we, I think we saw that with Kentucky this year, they just didn't have that chemistry and it didn't seem like there was that trust with each other. And Lord, they had all the talent that you would want on the team, but you know, there was, there was something there missing. And then you go to Fairleigh Dickinson and what was missing in Kentucky that group had. And even though they weren't as talented, even though they, they were discredited, you know. They were disrespected. They said, "You know what? We we can we can do this." They believed in themselves, and just think what we can do if we do the same thing. Bull, I'm going to stop yeah. believing in myself. I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Well, and I think that, uh, and I this is just something that hit me while we're talking. So um, I, I don't know. You you can just I'll throw it at you and see what you think. But one thing that seems to be, be becoming a very common theme, if you go back to St. Peter's last year, and mm -hmm. you look at you know the Fairleigh Dickinsons of this year. Um, or the Florida Atlantics of this year, it, it appears that the more entitled that programs like, uh, you know, the Kentuckys get, now, you know, obviously Kansas won last year and North Carolina was in the championship game last year. We haven't even talked about them. Yeah. They, they, they had such a fall from grace uh, with four of their five starters coming back. They refused to even go to the NIT. You know, Moorhead State, our alma mater, they had an NIT viewing party. They were disappointed because they were supposed to win the OVC. So um, they won the regular season. They were favored in the in the tournament. They ended up getting upset in the semifinals. Mm -hmm. But they decided to to party 
and celebrate their first ever NIT uh, selection. Yeah. They didn't get a little number by their name. You know, they had to go to Clemson and play number one. <laughs> and they were, they had no seed. And they went down there to Clemson and, and, and beat that team. So I think we can find so many examples where when, when teams, and you could draw a parallel to people, but when, when teams or individuals are entitled, when, uh, mm. when they have everything, you know, the Kentucky players are, some of them are making seven figures, you know, pimping for Morgan and Morgan yeah. and, and, and yeah. oh, selling, yeah. selling, selling, selling the AT&T iPhones. Yeah. And so these, yeah. these guys are really something we've never seen before. They're really profiting from the name, image, and likeness, which is great for them. But then you've got yep. these, you've got these obscure teams that are scrappy. I mean, it's kind of like the movie Hoosiers, which, you know, you hate to. Oh, yeah. Gene Hackman. State of Indiana, you know. Uh, yeah, but that was a good movie. <laughs> but what we're seeing is more than ever, and it may make college athletics more compelling. I mean, Charles Barkley, you know, he despises the transfer rules. He despises the NIL. He thinks it is destroying the game. He could be right long term, but it's it's what we have. And I think what we're seeing is the potential for these great cohesive teams that nobody knows, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, St. Peter's uh, went away, right? Those guys transferred. St. St. Peter's, yeah, they did. The players, and yeah. and maybe you see the same thing happen for some of these other schools. So it's hard to hold it together. It's like a one yeah. one shot at it. You know, you you mentioned entitlement, and uh, there there's a men's group at my church that that we uh we've been going through this this study guide, and it talks about what makes strong men weak, and one of the characteristics that makes strong men weak is being entitled, you know, feeling like uh, everybody owes you something and, and, and what you want is, is you, you are, you, you should just get it just because, and, and maybe that is something we're seeing. We're seeing all these, these strong, amazing uh, college basketball programs that just aren't doing it anymore. And then you, you get a, a San Diego State and a and an FAU in the Final Four, and none of us watched either of those teams throughout the year on NC or on ESPN, and 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 I, I love to watch college basketball. It's one of my favorite because used to it was just a very sound, disciplined game. You know, you could see the it wasn't a one on one. It wasn't. I mean, I enjoy the NBA, but I just kind of feel like it's it's. You know, those guys have their own and they are entitled and they're good. You know, they deserve to be. But it was uh, I've always enjoyed watching the college games just because of the discipline. And and you're not seeing that from the from the Blue Bloods, but you're certainly seeing it from the little the little Davids that are now knocking off these these one and two seeds. Well, we've meandered a lot, you know, talking about basketball. So we we appreciate folks that are non-basketball fans for hanging in there with us. I think the two biggest takeaways is. Uh, in life, you really have to try not to be entitled. I mean, we have to individually try not to be entitled. We have to hope that our mm-hmm. children don't feel entitled because you've got to be young, scrappy, and hungry, you know, kind of like the yeah. uh, the, the uh, Hamilton theme song. But there's a second thing, JP, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that is really critical. We saw it with uh, South Carolina getting upset by Iowa, and, and it goes back to the Gladwell book about David and Goliath and, and why none of us should be surprised if uh, San Diego State prevails tonight versus Connecticut, and that is expectations. Mm-hmm. All the expectations are on Connecticut. There are zero expectations on San Diego State. Now, 
it's possible that UConn manages the expectations well, goes out there, handles business because they think it, you know, it's their birthright. But, but right. we do know that San Diego State, after the first two or three minutes when they get settled in, they're probably going to play with house money. They're probably going to play pretty loose. And they're probably going to yeah. uh, play like they have nothing to lose. And in life, when we go through things with expectations, you know, when when we have these assumptions of how things should go, we play uptight. I mean, you know, look at San Diego State. They were down like 14 points last uh, last night. And I guarantee yeah. you that FAU expected to win. When they were up by 15 points in the second half, all of a sudden they went from fighting and competing to being entitled, and they turned to yeah. pitch off. And they started playing differently with less aggression, yeah. taking a little of the air out of the ball. My point is they weren't hungry. Things, there's two things, and maybe this is repeating every year, but two things from this tournament are watch out for being entitled. You know, North Carolina, yeah. it would not have hurt North Carolina to show up and play North Texas <laughs> in the NIT championship game. Yeah. It wouldn't I hurt. agree. It wouldn't hurt. And um, it wouldn't hurt Connecticut to approach this like they're the underdog. You know, convince themselves that they need yeah. to go out there and prove something to somebody. Yeah, yeah. What what is uh, what is UConn? Are they a four seed? They they were a four seed. Yeah, I think I think it's a four and a five. And before before we get off, there, four I'll and a five. Look up what the it is. It's a four and a five. Saying. Yeah. So yeah, what, are your, I, what are your uh, final thoughts on this? What are your final thoughts on the, I, the tournament on? I, th- I think it it all. I I love seeing underdogs win, and I think we're seeing more of that only because the dynamic of the the sport is changing so much. But it's an exciting time to be a person like me that says, you know, I've I've always been. It seems like I've always been an underdog my entire life. You know, I'm shorter than everybody. I'm slower than everybody. I'm not as intelligent as everybody else. But I've I've always had a a belief that if, if I do my best, there's going to be a chance that, that <laughs> something's going to come to me only because I, I give up my all and and, uh, you know, and I, again, you know, I thank God for everything that I have. And, and I believe that he is, he's had his hand in, in all of that, uh, has been given to me, but, but it's, it's, Kind of like the FAUs and the San Diego States, even even when people don't believe in you, still believe in yourself and fight the good fight. Well, I guarantee See you how things Diego, roll out. I guarantee you San Diego State's not going out there tomorrow just to lay down and uh, and think that it's a foregone conclusion that they've come this far and that they're supposed to lose. If you look at the uh, you know prediction, basically uh, yeah. Connecticut has a 74% chance to win. And uh, so if they they played four times, you know, by the by the uh, the analytics. The analytics would say that yep. Connecticut would win three out of four. Well, guess what? That means San Diego State would win one out of four. So there's, there's one, reason one time to tune in. And Connecticut is a seven and a half point favorite, which is a huge number uh, for Big a game. Number. Yeah. So I hope everybody enjoys it. I hope they've enjoyed you and I talking about yeah. it. It's not our typical. Yeah. It's not our typical topic, but. But I think in order but to there's definitely that, a lot of life lessons, a lot of life lessons that you can pull from this. Well, the coach at, uh, at FDU could have walked into the room and said, listen, guys, you couldn't even win your own conference. We, we no. were runners up in the yeah. NEC. You're not even supposed to be here. You're just a consolation prize because the guys from Marist or whatever the name of the other place is, the old D2 school, can make it. So just go out there, get your swag bag, 
let's get home. You know, Dayton's not smile that for the camera. Well, Dayton's don't hurt not yourself. That, it's not that beautiful sunny. And oh, by the way, I don't know if you noticed. If you noticed in the selection show, if we win this game in Dayton, we have to drive to Columbus and play Purdue. And they got like a seven foot ten guy, <laughs> and they're a number one seed. Yeah. I really don't. I don't really want to do that, honestly, because you know they just sound hey. terrible. So, so uh, just it's listen, a waste of time. It's great that we got here. Get your participation trophy. But you know they they uh, attacked that Tuesday game and they came in hungry and they believed in themselves. And that's got to be the greatest story, obviously, of the whole tournament, uh, other than who wins tomorrow. Uh, there's a lot of good yeah. stories. But the idea that Fairleigh Dickinson uh, believed in themselves enough. I mean, Common sense would tell them, like, uh, our culture just uh, would be embarrassed to go out there and beat Purdue. They have no business being yeah. there. They weren't, supposed to, they, yeah. weren't quali- they weren't qualified to be there. They finished second in their conference. They didn't <laughs> get the automatic bid. But uh, there's no way on earth that they, that they should have felt comfortable enough to go out there and lay the wood to Purdue. And so in life, I think that uh, the devil, you know, there, there's things, there's other people, naysayers. There's people who will tell us, mm-hmm. listen, listen, know your role, Fairleigh Dickinson. Yeah, you know, you're, yeah. You don't need to strive for that. You don't need to dream for that. You don't need to believe in that. Um, you just need to get in the back seat because you're not worthy. Yep. And so I think in yeah. life, we, we have to approach things that we are good enough, that we if we do our very best work, that it can be successful. So I think we can be inspired. And that's why we love the tournament because of the life stories and, yeah. and uh, what we can draw out of that. There, it gives me hope. It gives me hope. Well, I love hope. You know that. <laughs> you'll always be my Fairleigh Dickinson for sure. <laughs> my man. My <laughs> man. <laughs> it's been good catching up. Hope everybody enjoys their yeah. uh, Monday. And uh, until next time, you got anything to say, JP? No. Happy to be here, as always. <laughs> I love it.